Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. Wanted to share something. I uh, just felt like the Lord told me to go ahead and share it this morning. Uh, my younger son, Reeves, he's in rec soccer right now. And uh, his team's lost every game. And most of them by multiple goals. And so uh, how many of y'all know that when you have kids, the principle of sowing and reaping is true? Like, in other words, if you were a brat and stubborn and rebellious as a child, there's more than likely you're going to have a kid that's going to give that to you a little bit, all right? How many of y'all know? If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. I'm seeing some heads nod. Okay. Okay. Well, my son is one of the most competitive people I've ever met in my life. He hates to lose. He gets it all from his mom. And uh, why are y'all laughing so loud? And uh, so, you know, when I'm, I'm looking at the dynamic of his team and I'm like, there's a good chance we're, we're probably not gonna win a lot of games. And, and so I, I did what I'm sure a lot of y'all have done with your kids before. I just said, look, uh, you can't control everything else. You can't control everybody else around you. You can't control everything that's happening on your team, the one thing you can control is your effort. You can control that and you can control your attitude. And so we redefine what winning is for him in this season. I, I told him winning is this, you're going to win because you're going to win influence with every person on your team. You're gonna be, everybody on your team is gonna like playing soccer with you more than anybody else because you're gonna encourage them. You're gonna find opportunities to encourage them even when you're down five, six goals, which in soccer is a lot of goals. You're gonna keep your head up, your shoulders back, and you're gonna keep encouraging. You're gonna stay in the game. And another way that we're gonna define you winning is when the game is over and you've lost horribly, you are not gonna get mad. You're not gonna get upset. We're gonna move forward. That's what we're gonna do. And I wanna let you know, my son has been winning big time, even though even though he's losing every game, but he's winning. And, and as his dad, I'm on the sidelines. How many, how many are willing to admit you're a sideline coach? Anybody, any sideline coaches in the house? Okay. And uh, so if you are a coach, we just want to apologize. Like if you're a real coach, like you're not, you may not always like the sideline coaches. Uh, I would actually like to say you're welcome because I am actually pretty good at helping you. Uh, but but I, you know, I don't, I try not to, to say anything about anybody else's kid. I never say anything negative, but I, I try not to even just try to coach him or whatever because some parents wouldn't like that. Uh, but with my son, you better believe everybody's gonna know it. They're gonna hear it. So I will encourage him the whole game. I will continue to coach him up the whole game. So even if he, he, if he gets scored on and he's still trying to let his body language line up with what's happening in his heart and that good attitude, 
if he throws his hands up or puts his hands in, I said, nope, stop it. Tell your body to do what you know your heart is telling you to do. Don't let your body language keep your, your head up, your shoulders back. We're gonna stay in this thing. I don't care how many goals it is. You're just gonna keep playing and playing hard. And I will yell and scream. I almost lost my voice yesterday just because I, I, I was gonna stay in it. And I was into that game. I, we lost like six to one or something like that. And I just screamed as loud as I could. I was like, Reeves Bennett, you are the man. Because that dude did not give up. He kept hustling and running and, and he would get knocked down. He'd bounce right back up. He kept clapping and encouraging every person around him. And I was like, you are winning. You're winning. And I'm proud of you. When that game was over and we were leaving the parking lot uh, with the 20,000 other parents and kids that were there at the soccer fields, uh, the Lord just showed me, he just showed me something. And, and this is for somebody in this room that what I was doing and what I have been trying to do for Reeves as his dad, that your heavenly father is doing that for you. That even if you feel like you are losing every game in life, there has never been a time that he has ever stopped cheering for you. And that when even the whole world around you doesn't see it, he sees all the potential in the world. He doesn't define winning the way, the way the rest of the world defines winning. He doesn't define it that way. He is more interested in your character. He is more interested in your purpose and your eternity than he is in the temporary ways that the world likes to try to define wins and losses. And there has never been a time that he hasn't stood from his throne in all of heaven, got them all cheering for you, even when you've been losing. He loves you, he's proud of you, and he's gonna keep coaching you up. He's gonna keep encouraging you, stay in it. Keep your head up and your shoulders back, believing that you are the son or the daughter of the king of kings that he's created you to be, amen? Amen. That has nothing to do with my sermon. God is good. Last week we had 18 baptisms. Uh, Praise God, come on, give him some glory in this house if you're thankful. People going public with their faith. Uh, I think we had 10 people signed up, so we had eight spontaneous baptisms. I always love it when that happens and the, the Holy Spirit just moves in people like, man, I need to do this, I need to be obedient. That was amazing. Uh, since the beginning of the year, we've had 85 baptisms, 85 people go public with their faith through water baptism. I'm encouraged by that. I'm thankful for how the Lord is helping us all progress in our walk and our faith in him. Many of you have recently started attending. I meet new people all the time and I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful that you're here. Uh, we have amazing churches in our city and community. And if you happen to, to pick us, we're, we're just honored that you would do that. Some people have joined our church recently thankful for that. If you want to join our church, Connect is a great way to start that process. We will have that today. Many people have recommitted their lives to Christ. So many salvations. Some of us, you've been here for a while. You're staying faithful, staying consistent. I love us meeting together on Sundays. I love worshiping with my church family. I'm honored and thankful that the Lord allows me to stand on this stage and, and communicate the word. 
I love laughing with you people. I'm thankful that you give me grace and laugh even when I'm not funny. Thank you for that. But I'll tell you what I would want to do. If I could do this, and I do it with many of you, but if, if I could, what I would want to do is I would want to sit across from you, maybe with a cup of coffee, and I'd want to look you right in your eyes, and I'd want to say, are you on the peak of the mountaintop in your relationship with Jesus? Are you in the deepest valley? What is he speaking to you? What is he revealing to you in his word? Are you being obedient to the, the dream that he's put in your heart? In other words, how is it going following Jesus? How's it going for you? In Mark 1, 16, gives the account of when he called a couple of his disciples. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore, the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net in the water for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once. Everybody say at once. And they followed him. Okay, so it's important to understand what's happening in the context of this. Why was it that these men followed Jesus? And how was it that they followed Jesus so quickly? They would just dropped everything. These fishermen would have recognized Jesus as a rabbi, a teacher. Other rabbis and Pharisees recognized Jesus as a rabbi. Uh, and the rabbis... They were, like the, they were the leaders of this culture. In some respects, unfortunately, at this point, they'd become the political heads of their culture, the political head of Israel. And so if someone was asked by a rabbi to follow them, it meant I'm inviting you, I'm giving you an invitation to come and study under me. And that would have been a huge deal because if you were invited to be a disciple of a rabbi, it would give you an opportunity to grow in influence, to grow in authority and position, okay? And so obviously the disciples knew this too. It would be like Elon Musk saying, hey, I want you to come and be my apprentice. If you are a young man and you were selected to study under a rabbi, it would be like getting a full ride scholarship to the best university, U of A. Okay, uh, but, the, the, but the selection process to be one of their disciples, it was intense because it was only the best and brightest and this process started very early. Right around the age of 13, they would have already begun memorizing, memorizing word for word the first five books of the Bible, okay? That would be the, the bulk of what they would consider the Torah or the Pentateuch, okay? So they would memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Like most of us, we're lucky if we can remember John 3.16 on any given day, right? But they had word for word the first five books of the Bible memorized, typically speaking, that is. But Jesus didn't choose the most educated ones or most likely to succeed. He chose some ordinary people. So absolutely, when Jesus looked at Simon, a fisherman, and said, look, I know you never even made it through middle school, but I want you to follow me. 
and I'm gonna make you a fisher of people. Of course, he dropped everything instantly and said, I'm gonna do this. And eventually Jesus changed his name to Peter and Peter goes on to be an apostle whose very shadow would heal the sick. And the good news is this, Jesus is still choosing ordinary, everyday people, even broken people, to be his disciples and to do extraordinary things. Anybody thankful for that? That's how he works. But here's the thing. So in this room right now, we have people on all different places in their walk and in their faith. Uh, You could say it's kind of like a pool. There's a shallow end and there's a deep end. There might be a few of you, at least a couple of you, even one of you, you're not even in the pool yet. And I'm glad you're here because you're gonna have an opportunity to jump in. But when we're on that, another way you could say it is we're on a spectrum. And on one end of this spectrum, you have some of us where it's like, I've never claimed to be a disciple of Christ. Maybe you, you believe in him, but that's about it. Maybe you have some religious tradition, but your faith has no real bearing on your daily life on your decisions, your habits, or what you think about, what you talk about, what you strive for, okay? So that would be on one end of the spectrum. And on the other end of the spectrum, everything you do centers around pleasing God. That's your aim. That's your source of joy. You are not perfect by any means. But your life typically is characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, and spreading the life of God. And our greatest desire and my greatest desire as a brother in Christ and as your pastor is that for you and your family to keep moving forward on that scale and on that spectrum. So I wanna talk about a life of discipleship. Another term would be spiritual formation, like this process that really involves all of your life. It involves all of your life. And when I say all of your life, I don't just mean the full time frame of your life, but everything in your life. Too often what happens is we can look at life like a pie and different parts of our life represent different pieces. Like I've got my marriage piece. I've got my kids piece. I've got my entertainment piece. I've got my kids and sports piece of pie. I've got my Instagram piece of pie, my social media piece of pie. I've got my career piece of pie and I have my I follow Jesus piece of pie. When you accepted the price of Jesus Christ that he paid on the cross for your sins, Jesus is not a piece of your pie. Jesus is the filling of the whole pie. He is meant to be a part of influencing and directing Every part of your life, your decision-making should be completely surrounded by Christ. The churchy term for this would be sanctification. This process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the one really that runs the whole process, okay? We have a tendency, especially as people in Western culture to like to control everything, including the process. 
But the reality is this, we are shaped by the presence, purpose, and power of God alone. But we have a part to play. There has to be faith and action and willingness. After you're saved, you engage in this process with him through spiritual disciplines in your life. Reading the word, prayer, worship, community with other believers, giving, serving, all of those things. That's the process that you engage in, that you start in. And I wanna talk about some of the steps that happen throughout that process. The first step I wanna talk about is the step of leaving. Leaving. Now, this may be one of the most difficult parts of the whole process. How many of you have packed up for a road trip or a vacation before? Anybody? Like you're gonna drive somewhere, especially somewhere in your car. How many of y'all done that? Okay. How many of y'all have... Uh, more, two or more kids and you've done that, okay? How many of y'all know this is an act of Congress to make this happen? Like they're, they're, the, the, the most difficult part about going on a trip is getting ready to go on the trip, right? It's loading everything up, okay? So this happened recently when we went on, on a trip. Uh, we got everything and here's what you do. You decide on the day that you're going to leave. We're going to leave on this day. And some of us, for some crazy reason, we even think it's reasonable to say, and this is the time that we will leave. <laughs> I know some of you are like, you're silly. There are some of us that still like to believe and think that somehow in life we might actually have a plan and execute that plan according to how we planned it. I know it's weird. But what happens typically, if the plan was to leave at nine, the reality is that will be the first time you get in the car. But you won't get in the car just once because a lot of times once you get in the car, you realize, oh, you know what? I need to, I forgot, I got it. Oh, did we check, did this get turned, what? Some kid in the back, oh, I forgot. I find typically I will get in and out of the car 10 to 12 times before you actually get in the car and leave. That is a great spiritual picture for some of you and how you've lived your life in discipleship. God called you out and called you to leave, but you've been getting in and out of that calling. Some of you, for years, because you're still attached to the things that you think you still need or want that aren't a part of the calling. He's asked you to leave, but sometimes the leaving is the hardest part. No one who ever followed Jesus were able to continue to live life as they knew it before Jesus. And it's the same for you and me. That is the cost of discipleship. Galatians 2.20. My old self has been crucified, killed with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here's the thing, you 
can keep living the way that you have lived or you can follow him, but you can't do both. You can't do both. True discipleship, it's not a Sunday morning routine. It's not a list of rules. It is a lifelong process of surrendering and studying under Jesus. And some are not ready. Some are not ready. To follow Christ, I'm gonna have to be willing to leave some stuff. There's a couple categories. Things that define me. Things that define me. Just like the early disciples, they dropped everything. They even had their names changed. In my life, there are certainly things that can have a tendency that I will allow to define me, including being a pastor, including leading and doing things for the church. I can allow those things to start to define me, become my identity. Along with that, the recognition of those things, that can start to define me. Competition and winning can define me. Being strong or physically fit and healthy can define me. For you, it might be your role as a mom or a dad that can define you, or your career that defines you, or a hobby that can define you. And none of those things are inherently bad. Many of those things are good. But at the end of the day, none of those things should be the things that define you. You should be defined first and foremost by your identity in Christ. And everything else falls underneath that title. I am a Christian first, a Christ follower. I do everything I can to emulate Jesus in everything that I do. That's your identity. And then there's things that hold you back. Those are things you have to live. These are ungodly, unbiblical relationships, lifestyles, sins. First Peter 2, 9 says it this way, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. This is a prophetic word from God over every one of us. This is who he's called us to be. In our life group, we're going through a book called The Purple Book, and it is basically a discipleship path. It's, it's just studying the, the principles, the tenets, the disciplines of our faith. And in there, there was a question that captivated me that I really thought about for, for quite a while and then, and then challenged our life group with. And I want you to write this question down. I want you to write this question down. Here is the question. What has following Jesus cost you? What has following Jesus cost you? Salvation is a free gift that none of us can earn and none of us deserve. But there is a cost of discipleship that every single one of us have to be willing to pay. And the reason why I say that is because we live in a world that is anti-God. So just in culture alone, 
There should be costs that we pay every single day because we say we're not gonna be like culture, we're gonna be more like Christ. But there's also additional things, I think, that every Christ follower, every person that says, I am signing up as Jesus as my rabbi to be disciplined and discipled under him for the rest of my life. There should be a cost in our lives to follow Christ. And as American Christians, a lot of times we don't have any concept of that. What does it cost you to follow Jesus? All through your life, the Holy Spirit will continue to show you thinking patterns, perspectives, behaviors that he is calling you out of and calling you to leave behind. Being a disciple starts with leaving and then it's learning. It's learning. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 29 says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I've talked about this before, but a yoke, in many of our minds, we think about this wooden beam that you put between two oxen that helps plow. But the yoke within the culture of, of Israel, within the Israelites, that yoke was a term used by rabbis to talk about their teaching. That's what the yoke was. So in other words, it is the interpretation of a rabbi of the scripture, their personal interpretation of a rabbi of the scriptures. So what Jesus is saying is, he's saying, I want you to see things the way I see things. My teaching, learn to see them the way that I do. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. When you adopt his perspective, it leads to relief and peace, not stress and exhaustion. Jesus has a way of looking at life. The Bible calls it the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. And when we learn from him, he gives us a whole new perspective of thinking. What is that perspective? Romans 12, two talks about it. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. This is why we need to put his word in front of us all the time, hearing it, reading it, speaking it. That is how our minds are renewed. This is how we learn his perspective. Jesus has an eternal perspective. That's the most important thing that we can learn from him. His mind is not focused on this life, but the next. We have to learn that. So here's a good self-test. If all you think about or majority of what you think about is stuff that matters on this side of eternity, you're not very far along in this step. You just haven't progressed very far. Just like Jesus, we are not here to gather treasure for this life, but to store up treasure in the kingdom of heaven. As American Christians, we can get very nearsighted with this. But I'll be the first to admit, I get excited over temporary things all the time. All right? Like I enjoy ordering something new for my Jeep. Do we have any Jeep people, any Jeep life people in the house? Okay, a couple people, okay. You need to pray for us. 
It wasn't until after I bought my Jeep that somebody told me what Jeep stands for, just empty every pocket, uh, because that's what it stands for. Because the thing about Jeeps, the Wranglers especially, there are thousands of modifications that you can make, okay? So not only are you spending the normal money that it takes to maintenance a car, but then you're also finding all these extra things and you, you will never be satisfied. You'll always wanna buy something new for your Jeep, okay? All right? I get excited. A lot of you can relate to this. Look, when you slide that button over in Amazon, come on now, you know that one of the highlights of your day is to go in there and look and update and get an update on how your package is doing. Like, is it coming? Is it coming? Like, it's like a little spark of hope, right? Like, I, yeah, I might have had a hard day, but I know Amazon is faithful. <laughs> you start talking about Amazon like he Jesus. So you get that. Or if I order a new piece of golfing equipment, I can get excited about that. But here's the truth. Nobody's gonna golf themselves into eternity. I ain't driving my Jeep into eternity. So all those things are fine, but at the end of the day, they are nothing. They're nothing. One of the greatest things you can learn is that truth. Jesus wants to refocus our attention from the earthly kingdom to his eternal kingdom. When we hang out with him, he changes our thinking, which then changes our character. What I find is learning and applying what we need to learn from Jesus only happens effectively in relationship. What I mean is learning that actually leads to a lifestyle change which is all that counts, happens and is demonstrated and is tested in relationship with other people, specifically the body of Christ. Who cares how much I know about the Bible if I still treat people like trash? If it isn't demonstrated, the character of Christ is not demonstrated, then I haven't really learned anything. Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Anybody see some of that in our culture right now? There's some weird theology out there that is completely unbiblical. There are even churches and church leadership that are saying that things that are accepted and celebrated in our culture would be accepted and celebrated by God and it is not true. It's not true. He doesn't compromise his character. He doesn't compromise his word. Instead, instead, speak the truth in love. That's important. It's both, it's the balance of both. There might be some that would like to convince us that Jesus was like this super soft-spoken, quiet, super, like whatever. Your truth is your truth. You do what you, you do you. I'll just, I'm just gonna save you from your sins and heal everybody. Okay, 
the first message that came out of Jesus's mouth when he entered his ministry was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. It was never hateful. It was never mean. It was just the truth with compassion and passion that said, you don't understand, this is real. Heaven and hell are real. God is holy. Our sin separates us from a holy God. We have to repent. We have to turn towards Jesus. He never compromised his truth. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work, learning together. And Paul is saying that discipleship within biblical community protects you from getting weird. Anybody know some weird Christians? If you don't know any weird Christians, you might be the weird Christian. But it keeps you from false views of God. It keeps you from isolation. It keeps you from getting too wrapped up in your feelings and protects you from cultural shifts that are like sand. Everything we do here and every Bible-believing church that I know of is aimed at helping you become a follower of Christ in biblical community. It's within those relationships. That's why we have life groups. That's why we have classes like Foundations. That's why we have men's groups, women's groups. That's why we have Connect. That's why we have Serve groups, Outreach groups, all these things so that every person can find a place of biblical community because that's gonna be the best place that you can learn and grow. And that helps us take another step, which is loving. Jesus was so different than the other rabbis because he didn't just instruct his followers, he had relationship with them. And he wants relationship with us. John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So we experience Jesus and we fall more in love with him. And then we learn to love others the way that he loves them. Not, not, the, way, not the way we wanna love them, not the way culture would define love. No, the way Jesus would love them. That's what he teaches us. Basically, Jesus rubs off on us and we hopefully will rub off on other people. And that's a big deal because in John 13, 35, he said it this way, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. So I think a big question with that is, is your life still all about you? Like us four, no more? Look, all of us would stay this way without the help of the Holy Spirit. All of us would stay in that place where we don't demonstrate love. Because as humans, we are naturally selfish. Every one of us. If you don't believe me, I could take you on a tour right now back to Little Life. And I would show you a three-year-old room or a four-year-old room. And I promise you what we probably wouldn't say, although we might see it because we got some pretty amazing teachers back there. 
that are not just taking care of your kids, but they're speaking the word of God and praying over them. They're learning and growing back there. But more than likely, we're still not gonna see a three-year-old go to another three-year-old and say, here, I would like you to have my goldfish. Here, I saw you eyeing this toy that I've been playing with. I would like you to have it instead of me. That's probably not gonna happen. There's never been a newborn that just said, mom, you've been working hard. I want to help you out. I'm going to sleep all the way through the night tonight. I'm going, to say, I, 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 I'm going to be hungry, but it's okay. My diaper is going to be full. But you know what? I want to serve you. Because not only are you doing all this stuff now, but the whole like giving birth to me thing, that was a big deal. You did a lot there. Proud of you. Okay? So I'd like to help you out. No. And the truth is there are 30-year-olds that still don't get it. Still think it's all about them because we're inherently selfish. But Jesus was 100% selfless. During his formal ministry, which was basically three years walking to the cross, he helped people from the time he woke up to when he went to sleep. He healed them, fed them, gave them something to drink, spoke life into them, never turned away the wounded and the brokenhearted. Demonstrating the compassion of Jesus will cost you something. It'll cost you inconvenience, time, money, but you know what? It is totally worth it. A couple of weeks ago, as I was going around meeting people and shaking people's hands, I, I saw a man, I didn't recognize him, so I went up and introduced myself, and he was in one of the communities that one of our outreach teams had been going out and ministering to. And he said, I hadn't been to church, I think he said in decades. He's like, I haven't been to church in decades. Uh, but when I saw this group of people from your church coming into our community and just loving on people, just praying for them, encouraging them, providing things that they needed from time to time, but they were consistent. They showed up, even when the weather wasn't nice, they still showed up and they, stepped, they kept showing up and they kept loving people. And I thought to myself, I wanna be a part of a church with people like that because I need to learn to be a person like that. You can't say it any better than that. And the truth is this, if you give in this church, you help that person. You did, you did. But from time to time, you need to get yourself into the trenches into the mess of people's life and serve them. Serve them. Because it's one of the greatest demonstrations of love. It's what Jesus showed us over and over again. And the final step is leading. Leading. When you're following and watching Jesus, your mind, your character, your heart, all those things will be impacted, but it's not like he said, okay, now you're trained up, peace out, have a nice life. No, he empowers us to do exactly what he did. Being a disciple culminates in you leading others to be discipled. Disciples making disciples. Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Disciples, not church attenders, not people who do the habits, not people to do religious things, disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is the encompassment. This is not just talking about water baptism. 
This is him saying, no, they've gotta be baptized physically, but they gotta be baptized spiritually, and they gotta be baptized relationally. Okay, so when people get baptized, that's them demonstrating relationally, I want you to know I'm a Christ follower and I'm inviting you to hold me accountable and encourage me for the rest of my life. But the Holy Spirit still needs to do a work and baptize you on the inside. And then it's spiritually as well. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything. Everybody say everything. Okay, so that means that we don't get to read through the gospel and read through the word of God and skip over stuff we don't like. It's everything. Everything that I've commanded you. Everything that I've commanded you. There's a church that we don't talk about enough and probably should give more honor and talk about them more. It's Bethany Church down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Why should we talk more about them? Over the course of my life, probably the, the, the biggest bulk of the spiritual impact and discipleship that I've experienced, truthfully, is a result of the leadership that has come out of that church. They, they are like a crockpot of leaders. They are always producing leaders, constantly, constantly. I could go through a long list, but the ones that have impacted me personally, directly, Pastor Rick, our lead pastor came from Bethany. Some of you have heard of, of Pastor Rick's best friend, one of our overseers, Chris Hodges. He came out of, Beth, out of, out of Bethany. He, he, he leads an incredible church, an incredible leader. And, and, and you know it's an incredible church and he's an incredible leader because he's able to do it in Alabama. Yeah, Alabama. But so many other people, Larry Stockstill, that was Pastor Rick's senior pastor. Outside of Billy Graham, I don't know that I know anybody who's, who's lived life with more integrity than Larry Stockstill. But so many, Billy Hornsby, Billy Hornsby was the person who started the ARC, which is the association of churches that we're a part of. They have started and empowered and resourced hundreds of churches all over this country. So why am I talking about these men? Because a disciple found disciples and poured into those disciples. And then those disciples poured into other disciples. And then one of those disciples poured into me. And this church wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for them. God has called us to be that kind of a church. Church that disciples, disciples that disciple disciples. That's who God's called us to be, to lead that way. And you might be thinking, I'm barely saved. You said something about John 3.16 earlier, and I don't even know what that is. That's okay. Hop in with us. We'll help you grow. We'll help you grow. But even now, you can start leading by grabbing somebody and having them come with you. Every one of us needs to be invested in the spiritual growth of somebody else. Our church family needs you. We need you. The kingdom of God has commissioned you. Needs you. Jesus said that a student will be like his teacher. So ask yourself, am I looking like Jesus? 
Am I like my teacher? Am I being made like him in my thinking, my character, my actions, every part of my life? And then allow the Holy Spirit to show you. And if there's one part of your life that you realize, I keep getting out of the car to go get that. No, it's time to leave it. It's time to leave it. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Actually, I want you guys to all stand up. Everybody stand up. Just keep your eyes, head, your eyes closed, your head bowed. I wanna pray for people. The first and most important step that you can take is into relationship. Jesus had a relationship with his disciples before he called them to be disciples. And it starts with that. It starts with you recognizing that you need a savior. To recognize, you recognizing that your sin separates you from a holy God. And if you're here and you've never made a genuine uh, confession of faith, you've never come before the Lord in sincerity and just said, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I need a savior. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Or maybe you've done that, but right now you, you don't feel that it's producing any fruit. And it may be that you just went through the motion, but you never submitted yourself to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There was never a repentive heart. There was never a stopping and turning away. And you'll know because right now, right now you don't have any peace. You don't have any confidence about your eternity. You don't have a lot of hope. And you know that you need him. And maybe you made a decision, like I said, at one point, but you but you've walked away from him. You feel distant from him right now and you know that you need to surrender your life to him. If you're in that place, I'm gonna ask you to be really bold because I believe that God is calling out people to have bold faith, bold faith, unashamed of the gospel, unashamed to call themselves a Christ follower. If you're here and you know you need to call on Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to put your hand up right now in this room. Put your hand up, be bold for him. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? I need to call on Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Got you guys. Thank you. Anyone else? I need him. Yes, sir. I got you over here on the side. Anyone else? I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm away from him. Thank you. Anyone else? Got you. Anyone else? I need to call on Jesus. Anyone else? Got it. Thank you. I got you, sir. Here on the end. Anyone else? Yes, sir. Got you. Thanks for being bold, man. Anyone else? Okay, so here's what I want to do. I saw you, sir. I want you to be bold. getting harder and harder to live, to show 
that were believers. And I just feel led by the Holy Spirit that there might be a couple of people that just raise their hand that this next step may be one of the most important things that starts your faith and walk with Him. So if you raise your hand, I want you to make your way out of your chair and into one of these aisles and I want you to come down here all the way to this stage right now. Right now. Come on, Jesus was not ashamed of you. I want you to come down here. Come right down here to the front. If you raise your hand, you be bold. You be bold. Anyone else? Come on. Yes, sir. Respect you, bro. We got three men down here. Is there anybody else? Come on, in your weakness, his power is made perfect. Is there anyone else? A lot more people raise your hand and I'm not gonna point you out. I'm not gonna embarrass you and it's okay, but I wanna give you an opportunity to respond, to be bold about your faith. Is there anyone else? Come down here, come on. Got you, bro. Proud of you, man. Anyone else? Can we give it up for these four men, their boldness? Say, I need Jesus. Hey, look at me. Proud of you guys. Jesus loves you. He's been on your sideline your whole life, cheering for you, believing in you, loving you. No matter how hard you've tried to run from him, he's always been right there. He's just been waiting on you to stop and turn towards him. That's it. You're doing it. You've already declared to this body of believers that you need Jesus. The prayer that we're gonna do, it's words, but it's your faith paired with those words that have amazing power. Amazing power to, to put a faith in you that's unshakable but also amazing power to completely defeat the plan of the enemy in your life, to defeat every curse that would ever be spoken over you, any generational thing that's ever happened. You joining them? Welcome, buddy. Proud of you too, man. I'm glad you're here. If there's anybody else, make your way. Just make your way. Look, you, you can get saved right there in your chair. You can make a, a personal decision to follow Jesus right there in your chair, but your faith will never be meant to be private. Your faith will always be meant to be public. And these guys are just demonstrating it right now. Is there anybody else? Make your way down here. But I wanna lead you in a prayer, okay? We're all gonna pray this prayer with you, okay? And here in a second, when we're done praying, I want the prayer team, I want you guys to come and pray for these guys but I just want you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I need you. I want you to say it out loud with some boldness. Your own ears need to hear it. The pits of hell need to hear it. Say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you rose from the grave. You defeated sin. You defeated death so I can have the hope of heaven, so I can have purpose in you. I want that purpose now. 
So I surrender to you my life, my will. I repent. I turn towards you. Be my Lord. Have control. Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your faithfulness. And I declare over every one of these men that they are gonna lead strong. God, if you call them to be married, they're gonna lead strong in their marriage. If you call them to be fathers, they're gonna lead strong in being a father in their places of work, in their places of business, whatever it is, God, they're gonna walk as a disciple demonstrating the character of Christ, the fruit of the spirit. I bind and rebuke anything that's ever been spoken over them, any plan of the enemy, any spirit of addiction, Lord, that's tried to attach themselves to them. I bind, rebuke, and cast you off in the name of Jesus and declare the gates of hell will not prevail against these men. They're gonna follow Jesus for the rest of their life, no matter what the cost. They're gonna make a difference. They're gonna make an impact for your kingdom and for your glory. We thank you for it, God. We bless them and we come alongside of them as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ, we commit ourselves, God, to doing everything we can to help them to walk in the fullness of what it means to be a devoted follower of your son, Jesus. Thank you for it. We're gonna keep praying. Keep your heads bowed. If you're here and you would just admit, man, I haven't even left the driveway. I've accepted Jesus. I've accepted the sacrifice, but I have been complacent. I've been apathetic. I've been weak in being a disciple. I think, I think about the temporary all the time. Only time I really even think about Jesus is when I go to church. I, I just haven't learned his perspective. I haven't learned. And because of that, I don't love great. I don't love well. I don't, I don't love the way that Jesus would want me to love. And if you're willing to admit that you're somewhere on that, but you just, you need to admit that you're weak, I want you to put your hand up right now. I just, I'm not, I'm not that strong of a disciple. I'm weak. I need to grow. It's in your weakness. His power is made perfect. God, we come before you as your sons and daughters, as people that just don't have it all together. We're sinners, we're broken, and we need you. We raise our hand and say, that's me, God. I just need you. I, I know that I haven't surrendered everything. I haven't, I haven't given everything to you that I know that I need to give to you, God. And I just confess that today I'm gonna respond to the conviction of your Holy Spirit. And if there's any area that I know that I need to give up that I haven't given up, I'm gonna give it up. I'm gonna count the cost and I'm gonna follow you. And I'm gonna spend time around your word, around your presence, around the body of Christ so that I can grow and learn what it means to be a Christ follower. I, can, I confess that and I commit myself to that. Father, thank you for that. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's praise his name in this place you're thankful for.